Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, experts like today, and moms around the world. Hi, everyone. Today's a very special episode. We are focusing on Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which is based on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, for the few of you who don't know, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is an animated show on PBS, and it was created by Angela Santamero, and her head writer, Becky Friedman, is our guest today. And in the interview, I ask Becky, why Daniel Tiger versus all the other characters? Why, why make Daniel the lead? And on the drive home, she remembered, and I think she actually spoke with Angela, uh, so I've got the answer for you now. It is that Daniel was Mr. Rogers' very first puppet. And that is so sweet. And also Angela's favorite. So I will get into Becky Friedman's fascinating bio on the show. Um, but first, I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for creating this little neighborhood for all of us um, online and on the podcast. Uh, there's a lot of awfulness on the news, um, including more environmental disasters. But also, every day I'm reminded especially because of social media now, there are just incredible women, which is a funny thing to say, right? Because I feel like social media is like also shows us how obnoxious people are, at least on Twitter. But in our little neighborhood, it just shows me how incredible you guys are. I, I got an email that made my Christmas uh, from Lisa, and I asked her if I could share part of it. And so here's what she wrote. I mean, this just, woof. Okay, so we did an episode a while back with Emma Johnson about being financially independent. Okay, so Lisa wrote me, ever since your episode with Emma Johnson, I've been thinking about the value that the podcast brings to my life. I would really like to contribute in some way financially to the podcast and your efforts. You provide a service to me and all your listeners. In my opinion, and this is, uh, okay, I'm just going to say it. See, I want to just like undercut myself. Okay, anyway, in my opinion, it is no different See, I can't even say it because it's such a ridiculous statement. Anyway, in my opinion, it is no different than the services I provide to the pediatric leukemia patients I diagnose and monitor. I can do my work in part because you do your work. The podcast is an important aspect of my self-care. Uh, um... And she goes on to say that the episode with Emma really struck a chord with her. She says, I've always struggled with owning the fact that I make a good income and support my family. I've always felt in some way this makes me less of a mother. Your conversation with Emma is helping me move past that. If there's a, some way I can contribute financially, please let me know. I would really appreciate the opportunity to support the podcast. It made me feel so good. And so for right now, I am um, – I'd like to partner – uh, with sponsors and just listeners, if if there, if you hear something that interests you, like share the love, you know, and maybe it would be really helpful if you would, you know, hashtag Atomic Moms on their on their Instagram feed or something, so they know where they where you heard about them from. The idea that Lisa works with pediatric leukemia patients and that uh, that we are all like a a special little part of her day. Um, that's so cool, guys. Like, I don't, we don't even know um, all the ways that we are connected to one another. 
All of this earnestness and heartfeltness is to say that this episode is super obnoxious. <laughs> I'm so obnoxious in this episode, but it's fun. This was a tricky one for me, right? Because it's like, oh, and Becky Friedman does such a beautiful job and she is just so like respectful and uh, you can tell she has so much integrity. And then there's me. And I think it's because she already feels like a mom friend. <laughs> Um, because we met a few months ago and then I think she has a GPS tracker on me because I run into her everywhere I go and I don't go many places. Anyway, we end up talking about so many different things, but what we should focus on is her incredible career and this beautiful show that she and Angela have given to the world, uh, along with Mr. Rogers and, um, I don't know. I, her journey is super inspiring. I'm kind of regretting some things I said about my sweet, sweet little Eliza. See, I don't want to ruin it, but <laughs> my friend, who's the composer of the Atomic Mom song, he said that Eliza looks like a celebrity. That celebrity was on Howard Stern today on my way to my other daughter's preschool pickup. So uh, my little one in the back was listening to the person that she kind of looks like. And I forgot how talented that celebrity is. Also, my windows were down, and I didn't realize I had Howard Stern blasting as I pulled into the little circle driveway for preschool pickup. Um, luckily, Eliza's still young enough, not so much for for the preschool. Um, yeah. Anyway, see, inappropriate. We got to get Becky Friedman on here to class things up. I want to end this intro, though, by sharing with you Mr. Rogers himself. This is Mr. Rogers before the U.S. Senate challenging proposed public broadcasting cuts back in 1969. So get out your tissues because, mamas, when you listen to Mr. Rogers, you know you know we're doing the right thing. I mean, we talk about a lot of silly stuff on this podcast, but like, oh, we are doing the right thing. All these experts we interview about respecting and making space for our children's feelings, like— Mr. Rogers is on our side. We're doing good, Atomic Mamas. We're doing so good. So here he is back in 1969. And then I'll be right back with Becky Friedman, the head writer, head writer of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. This is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger, much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. I'm constantly concerned about what our children are seeing. And for 15 years, I have tried in this country and Canada to present what I feel is a meaningful expression of care. Do you narrate it? I'm the host, yes. 
and I do all the puppets, and I write all the music, and I write all the scripts. Well, I'm supposed to be a pretty tough guy, and this is the first time I've had goosebumps for the last two days. <laughs> well, I'm grateful, not only for your goosebumps, but for your interest in, in our kind of communication. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, 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 any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. <clears throat> Looks like you just earned the $20 million. <laughs> All right, everybody. We are in studio. It's chilly out. It's supposed to rain yeah. the next few days. I have Becky Friedman sitting across from me. I let the cat out of the bag <laughs> that you were going to be on the podcast. And I asked on Instagram and on our private Facebook page, you know, what are questions you have for Becky? Because everybody knows oh and God. loves Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. And there were so many questions. And they weren't all from my mom, I assume. No, <laughs> none from your mom. And <laughs> she needs to get on our private Facebook page. So. Uh, and it kind of psyched me out because I was like, oh, people are so invested in this show. Because it's it's in their living rooms every day. And it kind of becomes this uh, second caregiver uh -huh. While we're doing other stuff. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood has been a part of our lives with Sabrina, who's four, uh, for so long now. And every time we go on a trip, that is what plays on our Amazon Fire for her. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's always on in the background. And I was trying to come up with particular episodes that I love. And I was like, why am I not a better... Uh, expert in it. And it's because I trust it. And so that's always the time that I'm leaving yeah. her alone yeah. with it. I mean, I think that's great. I think I think that would definitely be one of the goals is for it to be a safe place for parents and for kids so that you could look, I think co-viewing is the ideal, right? right? That's what the American Academy of Pediatrics is really pushing now. <laughs> now we're no longer no TV under two. Right, they, they took they took it back. They realized that parents were really freaking out about that. But now the goal is co-viewing. But I think as parents, you know 
that's not always how it's going to go down. That's not always how you need media to be in your life. And so I think second best to that is to feel like you have someplace that's safe, that you're like a little neighborhood where your kids can spend time and you know they'll be protected. You know, you know, you're not going to, they're not going to walk away from the TV saying something that you wish they wouldn't repeat. Right. Um, and and you can also sort of do what you need to do as a parent and, and as a grown-up who exists separately from your child. Yes. <laughs> I will give you a quick example of how this went horribly wrong the other day, not <laughs> with Daniel Tiger. Uh, m- my child also likes the show Spirit because she's super into oh. horses right now. And so she had watched the two seasons of Spirit and really enjoyed it. And then, oh, man, I made the mistake of letting her watch like the Academy Award-winning short film, Mm -hmm. but I had stepped away, and when I came back downstairs, she was so upset. Oh, no. She was so upset because Spirit had been captured, and anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I have a little Mustang, and I think she really, really connected with this horse that was meant to be wild and free, and she was so upset that he had been— Oh, my God. (laughs) That they were trying to tame him. Like, I did this. <laughs> like the metaphor was too much, and I and I was like, "Oh God, it's got it." We were just going back to Daniel Tiger because I trust it. It's safe. Yeah, you know that she's not going to learn like a bad habits yes. from other characters. Yeah, because sometimes she likes to mimic Repeatable. the bad guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of questions I'm going to have from our listeners. Ooh, okay, uh, we'll do a fun lightning round towards the end about that. Okay, uh, I'd like to go ahead and share your bio if that's all right with you. Yes. Um, Becky Friedman is a children's television writer whose work can be seen on such shows as Super Y, Creative Galaxy, Wish and Poof, The Stinky and Dirty Show, (laughs) and If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Most notably, she has been head writer for Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, for which she received two Emmy nominations and countless questions about why Daniel doesn't wear pants. There were a few of those questions. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I do. Okay. Currently, she is working as a story editor of the forthcoming animated series Esme and Roy, produced by Sesame Workshop. She also opined. 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 Oh, you're such a writer. I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, she opined on her love of Marlo Thomas in an essay published in the anthology when we were free to be looking back at a children's classic and the difference it made. After living in New York City for 15 years, Becky, her husband, and two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Meadow, just made the leap and moved to L.A. and then decided to add to the chaos of a cross-country move by getting pregnant with baby number two due in February. Becky tells herself she thrives in chaos. Becky may or may not be correct. <laughs> the jury's still out. <laughs> we'll see when baby comes, what the answer when baby is. baby two comes. Yeah. So I have been hearing about you from a listener for years mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I featured a listener in our 100th episode where I called, you know, randomly, uh, you know, Atomic Moms listeners who had, they had listened to every episode at the time, and um, Angelique. And she messaged me later being like, you know, I... Uh, have a girlfriend, a childhood friend, Becky, and she's the head writer of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And she mentioned it a long time ago, mm-hmm. and then I just let it be because this is always how the podcast works. Like <laughs> someone will suggest something, I'll be like so overwhelmed with whatever's happening in the moment, and then it always comes back, and yep. then and then it'll come back again, and then it'll come back well, again. And, and you had you, a baby in between. Yes, it wasn't just that you were overwhelmed. You no. you really did have something going on. There were there were a few Pretty things, <laughs> and then you moved to my neighborhood. Yeah. Four so minutes away. Ways, ways tells me. So yeah. weird. I know. And then everybody, this girl 
I see her all the time. <laughs> I know. We got coffee once, and then I kind of run into you every three days, which yeah. is remarkable because I never leave the house. <laughs> it seems very un-LA, actually, to just run into people randomly yeah. like that. It doesn't happen for other people. But yesterday, and listen, I don't go to yoga, but mm-hmm. it's the start of the year, right? Mm-hmm. We ran into each other in yoga class at the gym. Yep. That yep. was so weird. And, then, and there I was. Uh, you know, seven and a half months pregnant, twice the size of everyone in that class, just like stretching for my life. <laughs> well, I was very uh, proud to have you as a guest because the teacher I did hear, and this is a class with like 50 people in, and he was like, have you been practicing a long time? You have really great Oh, form. you heard that? Oh, oh I heard well. that from across the room. <laughs> yes. I I mean, that was a really nice moment. I have to say, <laughs> what I <laughs> – what I love about being pregnant is that you can sort of do the most typical things that everybody else is doing, but because you ha- you're you pregnant and you have this giant belly, people are like, oh, look at you walking down the street. You go, mama. You know, and you're like, oh, we- I am walking down the street. Like, this is a big deal. Um, you know, I'm going to miss the attention. <laughs> well, you'll get it with the baby. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, and, you know, my first daughter was born in New York. Uh, we were in Brooklyn, and, you know, there's a real switch between pregnancy when everyone's like, you go, here's my seat on the subway, after you, mama. And then when you have a baby, it becomes much more like, get your stroller out of my way. Why are really? you, know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we don't have maybe that there here. won't be that flip here, I'm hoping. We don't have that here, <laughs> although, oof, Eliza's beautiful. I, I got to be careful what I say because she'll listen to this someday, and she's <laughs> so beautiful. But... I've um, I've been annoyed that when I have her in the stroller, people will look into the stroller and then they'll just like keep walking. No. Yeah, they don't say how cute That's she is. That's terrible. Yeah, it's really oh, weird. you're required to say how yeah. cute and adorable. It's really strange. Or and don't take a look, just keep on walking. Yeah. They'll, they that's might mention strange. how much hair she has, but that's about it. <laughs> and then... That's funny. <laughs> Just like one Whereas specific Sabrina, detail. Sabrina looked like this very bizarre Victorian doll. <laughs> oh. And so everyone would comment. comment. And now mm-hmm. with Eliza, people aren't commenting and mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of bugging me. Ooh, that would bother me too. Are you kidding? I feel like yeah, I would have weird. to say something. Maybe it's because hey. she spits up all the time. Maybe it's just because she's like puke everywhere and people yeah. are probably like, oh, I yeah. don't want to comment on how this mother isn't taking care of her child. Or maybe you just in this neighborhood, perhaps you happen to run into all these very progressive people who are like, oh, yes. I'm not going to make a, a looks comment. That's you know, true. Instead. That is true. Although I do also get annoyed because they always comment on how she's a boy just because like she oh, wears yeah. a shark onesie or, you know. I got that. I got I mean, look, babies, they just look like babies. They don't really look like yeah. boys or girls. I got that a lot when Meadow was little. Was well, it her haircut or because of what she was well, wearing? She was just a baby, I guess. And she was, you know, we weren't so into the like, we didn't, you know, put the big bow on our head right. or have super frilly stuff. That was a big thing. I'm with my husband. He was not into that. <laughs> and so, you know, we didn't do anything in particular that screamed, I right. am a girl. Right. Um, but, you know, they maybe sort of just look, <laughs> they kind of, you know, she looked a little bit, she will probably listen to this someday, sadly, <laughs> but she kind of looked like Buddy Hackett. Just for, <laughs> Who's Buddy Hackett? He's like, you should Google. You know, he's like this old time comedian. My husband oh, is a comedian, so I'm, I'm familiar now with the comedy greats, but it's, it's not an attractive comparison, but I think genuinely... You know, as a baby, that probably is who she most resembles. Okay, well, <laughs> so I just released an episode with actress Rachel Blanchard and her husband, Jeremy Turner, who is this incredible composer. 
and he did the music for Atomic Moms, actually, and also Emmy-nominated. And ah. he, uh, when they were staying with us for the week because they had to evacuate, they live up north, but they had to evacuate with the fires. Oh, man. He couldn't get over how happy Eliza is, and she's five months, and she's just, she's oh. so delicious and so happy. Um, but his big compliment, he goes, you know, she just, she's so laid back. She just reminds me of Jim Brewer. She just looks like Jim Brewer. And I was like, oh, oh no. Are you saying my baby's stoned? Is that what you're saying? So this concludes our uh, ugly yeah. baby segment okay, of good. the podcast. <laughs> that bullet point. Now we have alienated our daughters mm-hmm. in the future, preferably when we're like in a really good place with them. They'll come not during to this the teenage years. Let's talk. not. Let's no. agree. It'll yeah. probably come out like a month before their wedding or something. Um, <laughs> we could play it at the wedding. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, we love you, girls. Yeah. So. Becky, we have a lot hmm. in common. Um, we're both incredible mothers. You know? uh, <laughs> so we, I keep telling myself. <laughs> we, we both are married to screenwriters. Yes. Comedy writers. Yes. Who are named Adam. Crazy. And uh, my f- first question is, how are both of you guys so good at sticking with something for so long? Like, hmm. okay, uh, let me... S- Y'all, Eliza's actually sleeping at night, so now I have zero excuse for uh, what's coming out of my mouth. But, okay, when we first met, you mentioned that your husband started on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, like, back at the beginning, before, you know, he was really low on the totem pole. He So, crazy story. Yeah, my husband started as an intern. He was It was his college internship. You know, he left—he was in Florida— left for a semester, came to New York and did it, and then right out of college the next year got hired as a PA. So that was 15 years ago. Worked under John, worked, 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 all the way up to being executive producer. And is he the only one who did that? You know, I will say, I think he's the only one who had that specific trajectory, but I will say, I, I think owed in large part to John, um, a lot of people have a really long tenure there. Oh, that's there are really a lot cool. of like real old timer, and not not people who are old, but right. people who have been at the show for a long time, and just you know they're like a family there. Okay, so he starts as intern, yeah. and then he ends up executive producer yeah. on it, and now he's going on to other yeah. big exciting projects. But similarly, you started out, yeah, at the bottom, yeah. We, Adam and I have like the two most unusual television careers, I think, of anyone in this industry. You know, from what I understand, not having the life experience of my own right now, most people like go from project to project and they are sort of all over the place. And yeah, he was there. And then I, I had been a preschool teacher actually right out of college, which I think in part is why the world of preschool television worked so well for me because it was so familiar. Um, but then after doing that for a couple of years, I moved to New York and I started as an assistant um, at this company that had barely been around called Out of the Blue. And Out of the Blue was the creation of Angela Santamaro, who is very well known just in the preschool television world in general, but particularly because she created the show Blue's Clues, which like redefined, you know, preschool television. It was like it really was like Fred Rogers and then Blue's Clues. Um, maybe, you know, and Sesame Street. <laughs> I shouldn't, I should right. definitely, and Sesame Street was kind of a big one. Um, and so 
after, on the tail end of all her success with Blue's Clues, she decided to form her own production company. And it had just started. It was just they had one project, which is which was Super Y, which was her graduate school like thesis project, which is also kind of insane. And um, and so I started as her assistant and stayed at the company for ten years. Worked my way up. I mean, Angela now, um, Angela now. I'm so happy to say are like friends and collaborators, and um, you know are working together on other projects and. Um, and yeah, so ultimately started writing, started editing, and kind of taking more of a lead at the company. You start as her assistant, yeah. and then now it's your name on all the books. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. And the show, obviously, but yeah. I was just, you know, I had to do, I was on book fair committee, so I saw your oh, name oh. on the books. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, to go from assistant to that in the same place, just like your husband. I mean, yeah. is that so weird? It's so weird. Where did you both get your stick with itness? It's it is really bizarre, and I guess you know there must be something. We are married now, and so that must have been part of what we saw in each other when we first met, um, maybe because it does feel kind of unusual, especially in television. You know, I don't know. For him, it's easier, I think, to see from the outside. You know, for him, I think he's just someone he has he has always known what he's wanted to do. Comedy is his great love. John Stewart was a great leader, and he's someone who is Adam is someone who is so just like dedicated and um, goal oriented. And I don't know. It's just it's part of who he is. And so, and for me. You know, I don't know that it's a particular quality of mine, but I do know that um, I was just inspired and I loved what I was doing. I still love what I'm doing. I feel so lucky to be able to do this and to get paid. And I think also Angela is the type of person who um, is so great at giving people opportunities. You know, I think there's this real thing in the working world sometimes among women because maybe we come out of a history where there are less jobs for women, there's less opportunities, where there can be this thing of like competitiveness and, um, you know, you see someone younger coming up and you want to kind of squash that. And Angela is the opposite. She just, she's like, oh, you want an opportunity? You want to try and write a script? Yeah, write a script. I'd lo- I hope it's great. You know, I would love to see that happen. And so, you know, she really opened a lot of doors for me that made me stay and allowed me to keep growing. And yeah. It was really good. And then I left. <laughs> and then I left after 10 years. <laughs> well, you left after 10 years, but you're still... But I'm still... Well, yes. So now I am still working with Out of the Blue, but not as a... You know, well, they're in New York and I'm in LA. So not as a staff employee where I go in every day, but as a freelance um, But you're still person. overseeing Daniel Tiger. I still am. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> from home. From... Yeah, from here. Um which I, I, I mean, part, and part of that decision was having a kid and kind of wanting more flexibility and feeling like maybe there's a better way to do things. You know, maybe, maybe I could do the work that I love and also take my daughter to a music class or be available if she has a doctor's appointment or, you know, maybe there is this uh, happy medium. And I'm still kind of working it out. I mean, it hasn't been that long. It's still a work in progress. Daniel Tiger is such a big deal that, like, do you ever find yourself when you just said you were going to a music class, like, do you ever hear moms talking about it? <laughs> yes. And then are they, like, do you ever say, that's actually my thing? Yes. I don't know if that's embarrassing or not. Do they start singing to you? I do. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, do, I mean, I do. I feel so proud of it. And, um, and you know, it's really, 
uh, it is such a it is such a, a team effort, and is it is such a, a work of love. Everyone that works on that show really, I think, feels as strongly as I do. Um, and so I think we all probably have those moments when we're walking around. If you see a, a kid holding a Daniel or walking mm-hmm. around with a Daniel backpack or or hearing parents discuss it or sometimes on Facebook, you know, there'll be like discussions. And, you know, sometimes I, I play it cool. And, yeah, sometimes I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm that Becky. <laughs> but I do. <laughs> but, you know, I think I think – Sometimes I, I love that and I relish it and I or maybe I just can't stop myself. And sometimes, you know, I do feel like, oh, am I am I being that, you know, soap dish? Tell me, you know, soap dish, the movie. No, it's been so Sally, long. There's this scene where Sally Field, who's like an ex soap opera star, goes to the mall just so she can sort of like be adored. You know, she has her assistant be like, oh, my God, isn't that just so people will flock to her? Yeah. You know? Becky, do you just hang out at the, the pediatrician's <laughs> office? Just I'm just sit like, there you know, in the waiting room. I feel so mad that you want, you know, I'm just waiting for people to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is it is everywhere. And I think even more so now, I mean, I started doing this way before I had a kid. And so it is crazy now being a parent and both hearing about it from other parents and experiencing it with my own daughter. I think that has really uh, blown my mind a little bit. You know, a lot of mothers feel this pressure when they're pregnant, like, they're concerned of like, what kind of mother will I be? Will I be any good at this? And like, how do I know? And and I knew I was going to be great. There's no, so much insecurity. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. Tell me that there was a moment of like a total imposter complex of like, oh my God, I've been writing these oh for my God. years and I, I should yeah. be like Daniel Tiger's mother. Or I should, I'm the one who's like putting these words and actions into children's like, <laughs> mouths and lives and now I'm going to be a mom. Yeah. Oh, huge. I mean, look, it happens to me all the time when I'm, I think I'm going to be so clever and like try to use the Daniel strategy on my daughter and she's like, what? No. I have to say my biggest my biggest sadness is that she now at two and a fa- two and a half is a very picky eater, like most two and a half year olds. But you know I've really tried hard to push. Um, you got to try a new food because it might taste good. Strategy, <laughs> which I was so proud of writing that episode. I was so into it, and she just is not. No amount of trying new food it might taste good is going to make her eat a green bean. I have come to realize <laughs> maybe when she's older, but that is that is deeply deeply saddening to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think imposter syndrome is exactly right. I, and I think we all feel that sometimes as parents, sometimes in our careers, but there's there's no escaping it. <laughs> so to go back to your first career, which yeah. was a preschool teacher mm-hmm. out of college. So you were in San Francisco. Yep. It was like a progressive preschool. Yep. Tell me, oh, see, this is hard because you're still in this world. <laughs> but I just would love to know, like, what was the worst part? Of being oh. a preschool teacher, or um, the hardest, you know, you know, if you have yeah. to like PBSify what I'm trying to get out of you, that's fine. But I just <laughs> want to hear like, I mean, oh, that I one kid think. Well, interesting, because my gut feeling is, and I say this now as a parent also, but I felt that the most difficult part was the parents and mm-hmm. not the children. I mean, yes, children are challenging, and I did a transitional kindergarten program, so it was. Like four, five, six, I would say, all kind of in that neighborhood. And similar to Los Angeles, San Francisco also has this sort of interesting, weird public-private school divide where there's a lot of people hoping that their kids will get into private school. Maybe they're not quite ready, though, and so they need this extra transitional year to sort of get them ready for 
perhaps a demanding um, kindergarten, which is not always how pre-K is used. But in this particular context, I would say this was probably the goal of the pre-K program. So you're dealing with these kids who are sort of like ready for the next challenge and, you know, they're navigating the social world. They're basically, you know, five-year-olds are basically teenagers in little bodies. They're pushing the boundaries, but instead of like, you know, swearing like a teenager would, they're using like, you know, saying like poop and yeah. pee and what, that's their Butthole. version of it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I had to add that. Thank Although you. I've yes, been right. that, that was a real mission. Lately. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a... But but on the other hand, they're really doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Now, the parents, on the other hand, um, and I say this again, as a parent of a preschooler, I'm sure I'm going to be a real pain in the ass for someone, <laughs> for some teacher someday. No, they're just going to be so intimidated. They're going to be like, oh, my God, <laughs> Becky from Daniel Tiger. Oh, I know. Look, I mean, well, anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, there's so much self-editing <laughs> happening. I wish. <laughs> All I was going to say was that, you know, we're trying to now get Meadow into preschool for next yes. year. And I'm like, and it's tricky. I mean, there's, it's competitive, I'm finding. It's difficult. They all have wait lists. And so I'm like, is there, is there some way that Daniel can help me here? Yes, like, is there course. anything? I don't know. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, yes. should I somehow wear a shirt that I don't know, <laughs> put it on my application? But that being said, uh, at this particular preschool, you know, parents are, um, are demanding at this particular type of preschool, I would say, especially a private preschool, a wealthy preschool, I would say. Um, You know, parents are demanding. They have high expectations. They don't always know their children so well as they think they do. Um, Can you expound on that? Well, I mean, there is some of that, like, you you mean my little angel? You know, and again, I could very well be one of these parents someday. That's Um, interesting. But, you know, you... The classroom is a different world for kids, and you see a different side of them, and it's a side that parents may or may not either see at home or choose to see at home, I think. You know, like some of that behavior just, you know, it's hard It's hard to say whether the behavior is coming out at home or whether they just don't want to see it. And also, I think parents are stressed and overwhelmed, and they want their kid to, to do well and be okay and be high-performing and get into the right kindergarten so they can go to Harvard and and become a successful person. And so the most pressure that I felt was, or the most stress that I felt was not from the kids, but from the parents, I would say. Um, And, you know, that's, that's tough. That's stressful. And I think also, myself included, people are not always rational when it comes to their kids. You know, they really, they panic and they freak out and um, that's a lot to handle. Um, But, but in the end, at the end of the day, I mean, I did, I did love it, and I loved working with kids, and it's, it is super rewarding. I read that you would take them to museums, yes, uh, yes, and so the, shows. So the program again, sort of to give the next uh, level of challenge to these kids who had already been in preschool for a few years, um, was an arts program, and so we would do different units on visual arts, dance, um, symphony theater. And so because this was a preschool that had a lot of resources and was like really cool and, and open-minded, I mean, there were wonderful things. Um, they were like, oh, you want to go see the Chagall exhibit at the MoMA? Like, yeah, do it. Take the kids. You want to go see the Nutcracker? Take the kids. Um, we did all kinds of really cool stuff with the kids that was, that was you know, really amazing. And that's the other thing about going to a preschool that has a lot of resources is they really, you know, there is so much more they can experience, which was really exciting for me as a teacher. So how did you end up in New York then? 
Why'd so, you quit, Becky? I know. So I walked out on the kids one day. Yeah. I had, I had, had enough. enough of those snobby parents. Bottom line, I wanted to wear clothes that would not be vomited on in my yeah. daily life. Didn't seem like too much to ask. Were you sick all the time, by the way? No, actually, I think quite the opposite. I think that I developed the immune system of steel because yeah. you're just constantly surrounded yeah. by germs and, you know, oh, kids ah. are just like coughing in your face and wiping <laughs> their nose on your hand. They don't care. No, I I think the first year I was sick. And then after that, mm-hmm. it was just like I was good to good go. go. I was tough. Yeah. You're like so, I'm ready for New York. Yeah. Well, so my I immune just, system is right. You know, my immune system. Well, and then right then I really stepped into the germ pile. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, the subway. Um, I, you know, I was 25 and I was sort of like, um, <clears throat> what else is there? Like, am I going to be a teacher for the rest of my life? Maybe I could be, but should I try something different first? Like, is San Francisco the place? I just, you know, I sort of threw everything out the window that I had been doing and, and wanted a big change. And New York seemed cool. And it felt like there's probably only a limited time. I mean, little did I know I would live there for 15 years. But at the time, it felt like, well, there's only a limited amount of time that I could really shove myself into a little shoebox mm-hmm. apartment and pay a million dollars and, you know, do just the whole kind of sex do in the that. City thing. Yeah, exactly. I was so sex in the city at 25. Do, 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 do. Yeah. And I wondered, <laughs> would I be able to be in an apartment with four of my friends playing twice the rent of everyone else in the country? Yeah, I did it. So I moved. <laughs> so I moved and really was like, I'll just do any job. I just want to do anything that's not teaching. Took a bunch of interviews. Just all ra- – it was like one was for a PR company. One was for all over the map. So it wasn't just kids stuff. In fact, it was specifically not kids stuff because I was like, I want to do something different. So then I get a job working for MTV and working for um, – in the advertising department – Hated it. I mean, I was there for three days, and I was like, this is – I can't believe I did this. What was I thinking? Um, it was just not – nothing about it was inspiring to me. And, however, Viacom owns not just MTV, but Nickelodeon, Nick Jr., Noggin, um, and or Noggin at the time. And so I started just talking to anybody I could. I was like, I, I need to get back into the kids' world somehow. Because clearly that's what's important to me. And maybe I don't need to go back to teaching, but maybe there's a way of kind of blending these two worlds. How did you figure that out? Like that the kid stuff was was important to you. You tried to step away from it, but it drew I mean, you back in. Was What was it? I have to say, I think my question to myself is like, how did I not know that that no. was the most important thing to me? I mean, I it, it, it is – and maybe I just needed to – I needed, like, a rumspringa from children's <laughs> stuff or something. Maybe that's what it was. I yeah, had to MTV's have a little rumspringa. Perfect. Perfect rumspringa. Um, maybe that's what it was. But really, even before teaching, I had done children's theater in college. Mm-hmm. I had worked in daycare. I had been a nanny. You know, it was so like, hello. You always hello. liked kids, yeah. too. It was, always, it was always something that was important to me. It was always something that was, like – I had going to be part of my world. I didn't apparently didn't realize that at 25, but now in retrospect, I'm like, of course, that's what. So, was there a conversation you had with someone where you were like, okay, you know what, I am yeah. gonna? I mean, I don't, I don't recall. I don't know what that flip was for me besides being unhappy and feeling like <laughs> um, my life was meaningless. I did enter <laughs> just that small, small thing. Are you asking if I was in therapy? <laughs> well, yeah, that's <laughs> not at the time. I was okay. in college, but not at yeah. the time. I probably needed it, but I think also at the time I probably felt like I couldn't afford it. Right. 
Um, I did get trained as a yoga teacher during that time. And so that was like a way that I felt like maybe I could like connect. Oh, that's some where, that's why you're getting life. compliments oh, yeah. from oh, the I yoga Oh, I gave away instructor. my secret. <laughs> I know. I what? know, but I was 25. Oh I mean, my I don't God. No wonder you're getting compliments <laughs> about your alignment nine months pregnant. I didn't say, I didn't tell the teacher. I just let him think it was my natural ability. Oh my God. <laughs> I'd been coached. What I had been coached. don't you do? <laughs> well, I don't do a lot of yoga anymore. I'll say that. <sighs> Kids kind of took that away. Um <laughs> I actually, side note, I tried to take Meadow to a parent and me yoga class this morning, and it was a total disaster. We had to leave early. Oh. I was like, where's my Daniel strategy for that? Yeah. So <laughs> I can do Warrior too. Okay. So I want to ask you. So so anyway, long story oh, yeah. short. So I got into. You, you, uh, basically, I started, you know, doing what they tell every 25-year-old to do who reads What Color Is Your Parachute, I, <laughs> which I did read. I informational interviewed with anyone I could talk to, and eventually – I signed up on this listserv thing that somebody had recommended to me, saw like a one-line, four-word job ad. There was no information in it. It was like children's TV, send resume, fax resume, actually, to really date myself. And it turned out to be this opportunity out of the blue. I went in cold. I mean, I really – I couldn't do any research. The the Much to my um, uh, chagrin, it was completely ungoogleable. And so I went in – and met Angela and quickly realized, oh my gosh, I, this is like, I've got to, I've got to be here. I will do anything to get this job. And I mean, luckily I didn't have to do anything other than interview. Um, but then I got in and, and yeah, that was, that was it then for the next 10 years. So I want to ask you a couple of these questions okay, regarding Daniel Tiger. Okay. So why does, why don't they wear pants? You know, <laughs> that is the number one most asked question about Daniel Tiger. And I, I wish I had a better answer other than I just keep saying, like, Donald Duck didn't wear pants and nobody seemed to mind. You know, he's a cartoon character, I think, is the real answer. Although I, I will say that there are some subtleties there that even I find confusing, which is that <laughs> when he wears pajamas, he does wear pants. At the beach, he wears bottoms but no top, sometimes a T-shirt. Um, it's, it, it is, it is bizarre when, when we slash the designers, animators have chosen to put him in pants. Maybe we should have just gone all no pants across the board. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's cause he's a cartoon. Okay. So another question that kept coming up okay. was, uh, Regarding Mom Tiger and like, oh, why is she so patient? Why is she so perfect? How come she doesn't have like hobbies? Yes. Like, what's what's the deal with Mom Tiger? Yes. Okay. Well, I have two. There's two pieces of that I would say. Poor Mom Tiger. She is perfect. I think part of the goal of the show and part of the goal of Fred Rogers certainly, and we work extremely closely with the Fred Rogers company. Um, you know, we take the legacy of Fred Rogers very seriously, and part of the goal is to model. To, not just to kids, but to parents. I think parents in their best selves. And it doesn't mean that we will always hit those marks. Um, I certainly am not mom tiger in my typical life with my daughter. But I think the idea is we can give parents some helpful language. We can show mom not losing her cool and hope that that kind of like strengthens your ability to be a better parent. Um, you know, we we just wouldn't. We just wouldn't want to model mom like really – freaking out on Daniel. <laughs> we just wouldn't. We do, in a couple of episodes, we do show her get mad and use the mad strategy. And that felt appropriate. But like, she's never going to be like, get out of here. So what is the mad strategy? So the mad strategy is, listening. well, so the mad strategy is if you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. One, two, three, four. 
Now, I will give the warning that uh, at one point during in the middle of a fight between my husband and I, he tried to use the mad strategy on me and it was not effective. (laughs) I don't recommend it. Um, I would keep it to your kids or perhaps as like a a little self-talk for yourself. I would not try and use it on your partner, specifically (laughs) mid-fight. Well, and specifically the partner who wrote it herself. that's right. Like that's That's a real problem. That's right. I did have a listener say that her child used it at a, she was like, why is my kid roaring at a party? (laughs) (laughs) We feel so mad that you want to roar. Actually, my daughter will growl sometimes when she's mad and then she'll go, I'm growling. She really likes to tell me what she's doing, what she's doing. That's good. Yes. Uh, Oh, and the other part I'll just say about Mom Tiger's hobbies is that it is true. Um, you know, Dad Tiger has, we've seen he has a job. He's got a little tinkering thing yeah. he does with the models. Mom has not had a lot. I think mostly because we've really, we try to really focus on the preschool perspective and to a preschooler, so sorry, it's not that important to them what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in this latest season, which we are now writing, which will probably be on television when Meadow is in college, um, and therefore, she will never know that Mom Tiger has profession. Does it take we do long? give Mom Tiger a career. Animation takes a long time. Okay, it takes a long time. It, I, you gave I, her a career. Wait, you guys gave her a career. Everyone was like, "Shut up, Ellie. What's the career? You're going to have to wait and see. How oh can I spoil God. that? It's not animated well, she's got yet. Scrubs on all the time. Oh, that is true. They do look like scrubs. Is it not? I a, think it's more of a, I think it's not. more of a caftan. It's not scrubs. Well, she's not a doctor. I'll say that. Or she's not. Nurse, she's okay. not a licensed. Yeah, she's not an, she, an NP. Is an, this? Oh, my God. I can't say the word. Esthetician. <laughs> that would be a – now I wish that's what we had made her profession. But no, we did not. Stay tuned. Oh, God. Now <laughs> now I'm hooked. Okay. Here's a great question. Um, who are the specialists you collaborate mm. with for the interventions that are used? Uh, like Elizabeth, uh, a listener and a guest actually asked, you know, when Daniel feels so mad that he wants to roar, why does he take a deep breath and count to four as opposed to doing something else? Yes. Great question. So the way that the way that this whole thing works is that we, you know, it's uh, the Fred Rogers company or the people who truly own the show. You know, they own the legacy of Fred Rogers. They were the ones who wanted to do something to bring Fred's messages to the kids of today's and today. And out of the blue was the production company who, you know, who they hired to make the show and, and the you know, very much because of the vision of Angela. And so... Now we work in this really cool collaborative process where at the beginning of every season, we get together with the people from the Fred Rogers Company who are like these amazing vaults of information. And it's a mix of people, some of whom are producers who worked with Fred on the original show. Like they have all these incredible gems of stories. Um, and let me also just say that like he he really was who you saw on television. It's kind of hard to believe, but the more stories I hear – the more I I understand that he just was this kind, gentle, big-hearted person. It's really special. He gave the commencement speech at my stepbrother's graduation. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I would have loved I, – I, yeah, I never met him in person. I would have loved to see him speak in person. Um, I certainly love that um, <clears throat> that video clip of him speaking to Congress on oh, behalf yes. of public Every, television. Everybody how, – how can they find that? I'll share it on I, the website. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you Google probably like Fred Rogers – Congress, public television, you'll find it. Um, that but was it so is, moving. It's so moving. It really is. I mean, he just, he was really passionate about the role that television could play um, in, for kids and families. So so we have those people also included um, with the Fred Rogers Company are all these child development professionals. Um, and so, 
at the beginning of the season, we sort of have ideas about creatively where we'd like to go with Daniel. Um, we have ideas about uh, what the, you know, the goal of the show is social emotional. So what are the social emotional themes that we want to cover that either as parents we think about that we've heard about from other parents. I mean, I don't know if, you know, if people are on the Daniel Tiger Facebook page, we're constantly calling out to parents, what episodes do you need? What strategies do you need? What's hard for you? What, you know, mm. and we've really, we really take from, from the viewers, you know, we really want to serve parents and serve kids. So we come in armed with all this stuff. We think Daniel Tiger should have a baby sister because so many preschools, you know, we think we need to do a potty episode, all these things. Then they come to us and say, Here's the here's what the Fred Rogers approach to that issue was. Um, here's here's how we would deal with it. They don't come up with the wording to the strategy, but they sort of give us the germ of the idea about what the sort of best practices are for dealing with that kind of thing. And then we work on the language of the actual strategy, so, and we really bounce it back and forth. It's it's a real collaboration. Do they have some sort of Bible or something? <laughs> how do they know? Yeah, I mean, based on his work, the archives? Or? I mean, they've been living and breathing it for okay. years and years, but also, yes, there is, there's archives. They're always bringing articles. They they do. The Fred Rogers Company still does like a child development newsletter. Uh, Fred had writ, wrote plenty of books um, about all different child mm-hmm. development topics. So yeah, they're just like a wealth of information. Okay. So another listener, Noah, he wants to know why you all chose Daniel as the lead out of all the Mr. Rogers characters. Oh, man. That's a good question. You know, I have to say, so while I was there, I have been there from the beginning and helped to develop it. The 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 germ of the idea um, about doing these sort of next generation characters living in this neighborhood, that was Angela's. And so I would have to ask her. I, maybe, I, maybe you can post it later. I have to ask her why she chose Daniel specifically as the one who would stand out. Or maybe, I mean, maybe there are clues in the original series that I'm just not recalling. Um but I think we have to come back to that one because I don't think I can – yeah, I'm not sure. I had a cat growing up. She was so mean. She was like the meanest, oh, no. m- meanest cat. Actually, my dad, she hated my father too. My parents got divorced when I was young and I think she like really hated my dad. <laughs> and uh, he left the sunroof open of his car once and she went to the bathroom in the car on purpose. <gasps> she was like, I'll show you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she chose sides in the divorce. Her name was Henrietta. Oh, Henrietta. Ooh, so like a cat. That's really funny. Was it after? Yep. It was. That's very funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. Henrietta, she could have been, she could have been the one. Uh, I don't know. And I wonder, now I'm really trying to recall, but I wonder if there was like a particular connection between Fred and Daniel Tiger. Mm. Um, It was great for marketing. Yeah, I mean. Totally and then worked. you shared with me that Snowball oh, yeah. was your so pet. Snowball the bunny, who is Daniel's classroom pet. Well, the name Which is, is the Snowball. one we have watched 4,000 Oh, really? Times. <laughs> the, the voting one or the one where they, like, take care of they, The one where they take care of where Snowball take, yes. and they've got the little, like, horse brush. and <laughs> Yes, of course, as you do when you have a rabbit. Sadly, I am actually terribly allergic to rabbits. So I will never have a Snowball the bunny. But I did have Snowball the teddy bear, and that's where... Uh, that's where Snowball got his name, and also actually on Wish and Poof, which is a show that I um, that I was uh, co-head writing for Amazon. Um, there's a fairy named Meadow. I finally got Aww. that in in the second season. The perks of uh, the perks of my career. <laughs> Meadow hasn't actually seen it yet, but I hope she will. Yeah. When when will you start showing? You know so, your work to her. Is she watching Daniel Tiger now? So a right bit? now, I mean, this is very 
complicated, and I don't know how we could get this into a strategy. We've tried we've tried some strategies around um, like limit setting. There's one that's like, this was fun, but now you're done. Oh, choose one more thing to do. So that could possibly help. All I'm trying to say is right now with my daughter, putting a limit on screen time is very difficult. It's and so hard. So, um, one is never enough. Two is never, never enough. And they'll tell you, yeah, yeah, we'll shut it off after this one. And then they'll, they will melt down. And why is it that Daniel Tiger has two different episodes within one episode? episode like yeah, why yeah. isn't it just a 30 minute episode why are there two 15 minute ones because i find that yep. that is slightly confusing for my kid because she thinks because then we get in arguments about how many is one yes well there's a there's sort of a boring answer to that and there's also a social emotional answer to that um the boring answer is that in order to like repackage and sell the episodes internationally they tend to want the 11 minute episodes okay. and so actually most Preschool, most preschool animated shows now are 11 minutes. Um, they used to be Superwise is a 22-minute show. Wish and Poof is a 22-minute show. But anyway, a lot. so that's sort of the boring answer. Um, the more social-emotional answer is that, um, you know, repetition is the key to learning. And we do, we do both um, – we do the same strategy for both 11-minute episodes. And so kids have, an, have a chance to um, generalize the message. So it's not just that – um, we use the mad strategy when Daniel and Prince Wednesday have poured sand all over the house. You know, kids are so – of this age are so concrete and so literal that they might feel I like, live, oh, this is the only time I when we do this. I live with Amelia Bedelia yeah. <laughs> on a daily literal. basis. Yes. I live with Amelia Bedelia yes. and it's so crazy. Yes. It is. And then, you know, what's funny is when you hear that reflected back, you're like, oh, of course that's what you thought. I mean, that is <laughs> – right. those are the words that I said. So why would you think anything yeah. else? So yeah, with preschoolers, you really – so we have the song at the end mm-hmm. of every episode, which is also meant to sort of generalize the message. But then the second episode, I think, helps to do that too so that they can see how the strategy can fit into other contexts and hopefully into their life and their experience. And who are these families that you feature, you know, the live oh, action in the, oh, segment? So they how are, do I apply? Well <laughs> – uh, I hate to tell you this. How do me? How um, do I and my Jim Brewer baby? <laughs> yeah, submit. we are we are not accepting resumes right now. Uh, I'd be so um, good at it. You know, Fred was from the Fred Rogers Company is based out of Pittsburgh. He did his show in Pittsburgh, and so they're all Pittsburgh families. So I just have to move. So if you move to Pittsburgh, I'm going to warn you: the weather is not great. <laughs> <laughs> Having just come from the East Coast, um, um, okay. And then to round this out, uh, Shay Fowler. Uh, she's a listener. This is my favorite question. She wins the favorite question award. And it is, uh, how often does, is that PC come up (laughs) in the writing room? Oh, is that PC? Interesting. Well, I, well, I almost want an example. Is there something, I guess you don't know. No, I just I'm like, I wonder what she's seen that made her think that there is. Probably that you guys seem so aware. Well, I would put that, I think that, you know, in my regular life, I'm probably a little less uh, careful with language than I am in the world of Daniel Tiger. I would, I would owe that mostly to the Fred Rogers company. I think they are, you know, extremely sensitive to anything that we might say, to anything, um, you know, anything that kids could possibly mimic, anything that might be perceived in the wrong way, yes. um, they are very sensitive. Again, I think because they take Fred Rogers' legacy yeah. so seriously, um, as they should. Um, but yeah, so so I guess we have that. I don't know if it's about PC, but we definitely have conversations of like, is this is this okay or not okay? We do have those conversations for sure. And have you ever had two moms or two dads? 
featured on the show. Would they consider that? What's we have the- not. We would consider that for sure. Um, I think that I think the trick of it. Well, you know, again, it's sort of like the boring answer versus the creative answer. Creatively, I think we would love to do that. I think the the boring answer is in the world of animation. You you know you are sort of working with pre exist. We have a world of pre existing characters that kids are familiar with. So a you have to sort of figure out who this new person and would be in the world. None of them happen to be gay. No, I'm kidding. And none of <laughs> it's the craziest thing. So. Uh, no, no, no. But some of them do happen to be tigers, um, <laughs> and they are all friends, which seems They're fine. All friends. Um, I, I mean, I yeah. I think um, so. You'd have to like create a new character. You'd Got have it. to have the budget for it. Blah blah blah. I, I do think that's something that personally we would we would mm-hmm. all love to do. Um, so you know, here's to season five, maybe. <laughs> I can't wait to see what the mom does for a living. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that I put you on the hot seat, yeah, I love the hot, the hot seat. seat. Uh, I want to talk to you about number two. Oh yeah. Okay. What are you? You? I mean, you wrote Gulp. the Margaret episode, so you already you already have this. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's easy, right? It's yeah, easy. I mean, you just did it. It's it's a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake. No, it's so yeah. good. Oh, is it? It's so good. I'm nervous. I mean. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited for Meadow to be a big sister. We have been showing her um, the Baby Margaret episodes, um, to I think, to to some success. We'll see what happens when the baby actually comes. At first, she did think that I was giving birth to Baby Margaret, which seemed maybe <laughs> a little confusing. Uh, back to the concrete, uh, literal preschoolers wow. that we have. Um, so that was challenging. But um, but now she seems to be excited about it. Time will tell uh, once baby actually arrives and she sees that, you know, baby's not going anywhere, if that excitement will stay or if it will wane. Um, I mean, from what, are, what I understand, it's sort of like barely managed chaos. Does that sound right? Yes, that sounds so right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean. It's so fun to see how different they are, though. That, I mean, I think that's really going to. Well, my mind, I'm so used to who Meadow is and the person that she is. And it's kind of, um, it is, it's like mind boggling to me that we could then have the second person in our family made from the same two people who could be totally different. Could be so different. And this, I, this time around, I'm really treating it like a science experiment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, because it goes by so quickly. Each stage is so much more tolerable. And there have been different challenges for me. Uh, Breastfeeding was much harder for me this time um, because I just had so much milk. And she was much pickier about it, everything regarding feeding than her sister. Uh, She also, like, as I mentioned, throws up every, (laughs) like, hour. Um, But she – she's much more particular Huh. Sabrina didn't care if the bottle was huh. freezing cold. She didn't care. You know, it, none of that mattered to her. She'd literally eat anything. And Eliza is just, it's no. its not the same. Um, now, because we got through this rough patch of breastfeeding, like now it's easy, a lot easier with it. And I'm glad I was able to stick with it yeah. because now I'm like, oh, this is good. Now she can like keep up with my milk supply and my milk supply mm-hmm. is also like kind of mm-hmm. chilled out a little bit. Um, the putting her to sleep is so different. Yeah, and so it's just fun. Is... You get to like experiment with all these different things that you heard before or you thought like, oh, well, your friends just aren't doing it right or whatever. Uh-huh. And they're like, nope, this is just a totally different right. kid and experience. Yeah, that's what's interesting. All the things that you think 
you sort of did as a parent, you realize maybe we're just more luck or based on the personality of your child. Yeah. I had a really hard time leaving the room when Sabrina uh, would be put to bed at night. And with Eliza, it's so easy. I just throw her in the crib. She's she's like wide awake and then she just falls asleep. She doesn't care. Yeah. With Meadow, I was like, I don't think this whole drowsy but awake myth really exists. I was like, no child gets put in the crib. That doesn't work. (laughs) Right. Here's what happens. You have to like bounce, 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 bounce on the Pilates ball until they're dead asleep. Then you try to put them in the crib. Then they wake up as soon as they hit the mattress. Then I was like, I don't know who these people are. Right. But they're just trying to torture the rest of us. Totally. And so maybe, and I'm maybe thinking, with number two. I'm thinking that is might be the case with the whole nap thing, too. Because I oh, remember yeah. my mom being like, well, she should just be able to nap anywhere. You know, it doesn't need to be quiet. What do you oh. – and then you're like, well, yeah, it does. Yeah. Sabrina needed it to be very quiet. And maybe Eliza, hopefully, that won't be the case. But it's yeah. just you're like, oh, man, there's such little individuals. And that's been really fun to compare and just sort of – um shame the one into being better because of the other one. Like, I'm really, this is my new parenting technique, everybody. Oh, I like this. Eliza just started sleeping 12 hours a night. It's her fourth night in a row that she's done it. I'm very excited and proud of her. And Sabrina, you was calling for us in the middle of the night. But this is where my good parent shaming comes in. I said, you know, Sabrina, your sister's five months old and she's in there all she's night. showing you up. <laughs> well, Sabrina, does it work? It worked. Yes. She, has, she hasn't made a peep. Oh my God. I mean, you can't you can't let a baby do better than yeah. you for crying out loud. That's good. No, I don't I don't think that's shaming. I think that's excellent parenting. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, good. Let's good. let's have them compete at a very young age. <laughs> that's my plan. That's definitely my plan. Yeah, um, it'll be real it'll be really interesting too. Meadow was colicky, and so that oh, yeah. was like a real whew. So was Eliza. And everybody was like, Oh, you just Put her in the stroller, drive around in the car, and she did not want to be strapped into anything. And so that was a whole piece where I was like, gee, I guess I missed the, like the enjoyable ride in the stroller. Did not happen for us until she was, Sorry. I don't know, what, six months or something. That's so hard. So all these things. then you're trapped. Oh, my God. So trapped. Yeah. And just, you know, it was real. it really was isolating. I was actually, I was just saying to Adam the other day that, and, you know, Whatever happens, happens. I think also the benefit of the second time is that I think I'll have a little more perspective. Mm-hmm. You're so you're so deep in the moment with your first baby, I think, yes. that you just can't even see outside of it or what's going to come next. But I did say to him, I hope that I have more of like a, a true uh, enjoyable maternity leave because it really – it was not at all for Meadow. She turned, she turned into a fantastic kid, but she was a real jerk of a newborn. How, what is your maternity leave going to look like? Well, so I don't know. This is the other thing about, about being a freelancer is, um, you know, there's no one saying to me, here's your eight-week maternity leave package and then come on back to your job when you're done. Um, so I don't know. Miraculously and through no planning of my own, both Daniel Tiger season four, which I'm working on now. Also, season four is – it's listed differently in Amazon, so <laughs> don't, don't let that okay. confuse you. But for us, it's season four. Um, the writing of that is wrapping up and also the writing of this uh, Sesame Workshop show, Esme and Roy, are wrapping up both right before I am my due date. And so that's kind of amazing um, but it also means I have to figure out at some point how long I'm going to not be working, mm-hmm. when to look for new work. Um, and I don't know. I'm just – I'm going to figure it out, I guess, for the first time. <laughs> and with child care, uh-huh. right now, do you have a nanny while you're working? Yes. 
I do. And was she intimidated when she did her interview with you? Did she know about <laughs> Daniel Tiger? I don't think so. She, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't. I don't think she knew about. It. She does have a daughter, but her daughter's a little bit older. So I'm not sure if she connected. I think she was probably more connected with older kid television and not younger kid television. What's been the hardest? I'm also, I'm not very intimidating, as you, as you know. You're not very intimidating. You're very, very friendly. <laughs> uh, what's been the hardest transition going from New York to L.A.? How about as a woman? Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. I think that actually the things that I thought were going to be challenging or scary are not as bad as I thought. Like, um, you know, of course, everybody everybody talks about the driving, um, especially New Yorkers, talk about how bad the driving is in L.A. <clears throat> that has not been a problem. I was a little worried about the, like, kind of Hollywood. This is as a woman. I was worried about the sort of, like, Hollywood image forward, mm-hmm. you know, whatever my perceptions of sort of L.A. women were, um, which probably involved a lot of plastic surgery <clears throat> and may have been swayed by my affinity for Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> Um, that I have found not to be, I I just haven't found it to be an issue. I think, you know, you, I'm sure those people are here, but I don't really interact with them in the same way that whatever. They're further west. (laughs) Do you know where they are? Beverly Hills. (laughs) Beverly Hills. Yeah, I don't go, I don't go to Beverly Hills. I don't know any real housewives. So that wasn't, that hasn't been an issue in the way that I thought it was going to be. I think that the real, I think the big project for us being in LA is finding a community. And finding friends and finding, like, a mom posse for me in Mm -hmm. particular. I think that in Brooklyn, I really had that. And I found it – I really found it easy, actually, to find a community to make friends. Um, Being a parent of a young child, I found other moms and connected with them very easily. And then, you know, it's like the best part of parenting, I think, when you can just say to someone, hey, I'm on my way to the playground. Want to meet me there? Hey, I'm doing this. You know, we really had that in Brooklyn. And um, and I think that's harder to find in L.A. Or maybe it's just hard to be an adult and to make friends as an adult and, and move to a new place, you know? Um, How did you do it in Brooklyn? You know, it almost it almost just seemed like you would just fall into friendships. I mean, look, the apartments are all tiny. Nobody's staying inside their ha- home. Everybody's on the streets. Everybody's in the playground. You just you just fall into friendships. You really do. Um, and a conversation at a coffee shop or at a playground really can turn into something. Um, a couple of my really close mom friends I did meet on maternity leave through a, like a Facebook neighborhood mom group thing. Um, so I don't know, but I think here, and you know, I've only been here for a couple of months, so things I, I could sort of change my perception, but here it's a little more isolating. I think people are in their beautiful houses with their backyards. So why you don't really need to go? Ooh, sorry, bump the table. Um, you don't really need to go to go out. You're just not. You know that's the beauty of New York and the pain of New York. You're all jammed into each other's physical space. Although we do bump into each other as you and me, man. So clearly the universe it's has meant ideas. to be. No, seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's really weird. We can't stop bumping into each other. We can't. <laughs> Um, it's true, but but in general, with non yeah. with non Ellie LA people, <laughs> I find it is much more difficult to have that just ease of and and also there's this thing about like you could meet someone, you could see them, you could have a great hang, and then it'll be like four months, and you're oh, like, where'd always. you go? What happened? Yeah, I'm the queen of that. These you days. really lose your mojo. You it's know, really hard 
with young children, I think. Yes. If you're not in the neighborhood, if you yes. don't just happen to be where I am at all, all times, like you are. Which wrecking, I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. I had a mom friend say on Facebook that, you know, her New Year's resolution is to say yes more. And my automatic response was like, oh, well, my New Year's resolution is to say no, no more. No more, no thank you. Like, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you, because there's not time. And yeah. I was listening to this Tim Ferriss podcast where which I, at some point I really want to go on a whole rant about mm. Tim Ferriss. Anyway, um, he did this seven-day silent meditation retreat that I did uh, at a different time. Anyway, he did not have as positive experience. But then I want to go on this whole rant about how just like in general he couldn't survive. Why, mm. I don't know why I want to attack mm. him. It's terrible. I listen to him. I enjoy his work. Yeah. But I suddenly want to be like, oh, you think you're so tough with your <laughs> seven-hour work week and da, da, da. Like you couldn't yeah. handle being a mother for two seconds because yeah. he was talking about like what he has to do on a daily basis to get his work done. Oh. And the ridiculous like OCD of like, uh, you know, the particular type of bullet coffee and then he has to have his assistant and they can only Stop. order one of three things at lunch oh my God. and I want to be like if you no. were a mother for one second you wouldn't ha- do any of this yes. you could you would crumble yes and I don't know why that makes me so angry maybe because I feel like as mothers we don't get enough credit for I think how that's flexible right. we have to be and how we have to constantly like deny 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 ourselves in order to mm-hmm. make anything happen mm-hmm. and I think yeah I, I definitely feel that way and I think also you're like it's just flowing like water, you know, like you're just, you're doing it before it gets, needs to get done. You're thinking about it 10 steps in advance. Every mom I know really is like this. And I'm not saying dads don't have this. In fact, I do think dads could have this capability, but I think oftentimes moms are, are just doing it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, it it is kind of crazy. And I think it, it very much goes unrecognized because also you're so busy doing that you're not like, Hey, Notice what I'm doing, you know, right. celebrate what I'm doing because and, – and then for your partner, it's just getting done. And so that's magic. You really magic. don't need to acknowledge it because right. there's nothing to notice because it's already been done. <laughs> it's already it's done. like – it, we both read that same article, right? Did, did you read sure. that article that's like Mother Monster the, Maid or whatever and it's about – Oh, yeah. The, uh, anyway, I, I think all of the – it's really – that article really captures, I think mm-hmm. – Often, what the experience is of being a mom, and even the the like, you're about to give birth, like this is so crazy to me. It, listening to Tim Ferriss has really yeah. made me think. Like, being a woman is so insane it's because totally the insane. way they talk about even just like a triathlon or something like yeah. that. Oh yeah, and just sort of like what it takes to get through it, that kind no. of thing. And I'm like, I honestly, mothers listening. I don't think that half the population has a clue as to, like, how insane it is to be a mother. Um, And to those of us who are able to give birth, the craziness of that and the transformation, regardless of whether or not it's a good experience, you're going to be transformed. Whatever it is, it is— it is so National Geographic. It's You're so like, insane. I can't believe this is happening in it's, real time. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. No matter how it happens. I'm going to send you off with like a real nervous breakdown. So enjoy your oh, yeah, labor and, and get to back happen. to us. It's about to happen again. It's inevitable. I remember like the last month just looking down. Oh, my God. And Eliza, I mean, because I was on bed rest forever and I mean months and months and I just – we kept thinking she was going to come early. And then thank God she didn't. She came like three mm. days early. Uh, before my due date. But 
just the inevitability of like there's a thing inside me Ooh. and it's coming it's out. It's coming of me. out somehow. Somehow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know where that rant. Ooh. The rant started with um, saying no more often. Oh uh, yeah. I think just. Oh, and and but however. Right. So you being so able to build to community, it's yeah. hard to make friends. It's hard to it plan. Is. How about that? I, I do have some friends from my daughter's preschool, and this has been really great. They will, on the same day, like this happened last night, I got a text at 2 o'clock saying, like, who wants to go to dinner tonight? Ooh. Um, and that works out. Yeah. Because That's, if it can be oh, in yeah. the moment, you're like, yeah, I can do that tonight. Yeah, sure. But if I had to plan in advance, I'd be like, I'm too tired or Mm -hmm. I'm automatically too tired. Yes. So it has to be a spontaneous Anticipating plans that you're like, Yeah, what is that? I spend my whole life dreading. Yeah. That's some anxiety stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about that. Yeah. We should. (laughs) We should talk about that. Because I need to just lose that. Uh I I mean, anticipation is like a really heavy burden to carry around, I think. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, so interesting. I wasn't sure actually if that was an East Coast or a West Coast thing, or maybe it's neither. Just but a neurotic making thing. plans. Well, I what? mean, making plans in advance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, neurotic. Oh, New York owns neurotic. I think okay. we just have to agree on that. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> but making plans in advance versus the spontaneous yeah. plans. I wasn't sure what people do here. I'm. What I do they do in New York. Much, I feel like people are most, more spontaneous. It is more like, hey, I'm heading to the playground. Meet me there. Hey, do you want to grab dinner tonight? Yeah. But especially with kids, I think, because, yeah, in the moment, either it's going to work or it's not going to work. Either you're kidnapped that day or they didn't either. You oh, know. yeah. No, I'm not even there, Becky. Yeah. I do not make plans. Like with my kids, no maybe once a week. Yeah. Like I just – it's too yeah. much. Yeah. I have a girlfriend who's like, Ellie, you know, because during the week um, I'm with the girls and I'm uh, – you know, she was like, come over. We'll, we'll make dinner and it'll be fun. And I'm like, but dude, you live in Encino. This is like – Oh, no. 30 minutes, like, during rush hour yeah. after my daughter's been in preschool all day. She's going to be a jerk. Gonna, it's not going to go well. And then yeah. I'm going to have to drag her butt home with the baby and then yeah. somehow get her in the bath. Like, that's suddenly yeah. what, what should just be, like, a fun communal experience. I'm like, I'm just too tired. I'm going to go in my house by myself. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the sad yeah. mother I am. <laughs> no. No, but I think – And put I on – I think that's true. <laughs> Daniel Tiger. <laughs> just give me my Daniel Tiger <laughs> so I can relax. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, it is true. It's it's hard. And yeah, the timing of everything. I mean, that's the other thing that I'm anticipating about too, is that all of a sudden, you know, I'm so used to my very regular toddler with her very regular nap time and her very regular bedtime and wake time. And then you sort of forget that at the beginning, you're, you really are housebound with a baby who sleeps just all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't all even know how you never. do it. All the time, right? All the time, right? All the time, and yet only perhaps for ten minutes at a time, depending on how your day is going. But then you've got this big kid. I yes. don't even know. I don't even know. But let me tell you, it is so much fun. Really, it's so much fun. Okay. I wish I had. I should have. No, I, I think this age gap for me is really good. Yeah, with the girls, you do. But they are. They are. They really entertain each other already. Wait, what is the age old. difference between that? I don't know. Don't make me do math. I think uh, <laughs> three and a half years. Okay. Okay, so they're a little more than ours will be, but we, we can still hang. The, yeah, well, the, we'll, it'll be okay. Also, here's the thing: if you have to watch one, you might as well watch two because you can't get anything done with one anyway. Very true. Oh I yeah, nothing I'm, can be you done. You guys, I'm full of insight. I think that maybe PBS should hire me to do. You know, you, do you just, need a consulting job? Just, I need to be a consultant. I think. Yeah, I'm going to start with my shaming techniques about <laughs> shame your four year old into sleeping by yes. tell, telling her the five month old <laughs> is doing it, and then. Yes. Um, 
We'll go into never leave your house mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. just too much work anyway. I have to say, to plug myself, I had a particularly good one during my first trimester, which was go get mommy a ginger ale and then leave me alone. Oh, that's good. Tell uh-huh. me you said I thought leave that me could alone. be really good. I don't think I you could didn't. really say leave me alone. Oh, God, all these listeners just got so, so excited. Sad. They were like, Becky. <laughs> She's a real mom. I mean, I did. Oh, I'm a real mom. I know. I did try to invent as many lying down games as I could. I was just so sick. I mean, here's what I've learned any game can be played lying down. You want to play house? Great. I'm going to lie down. (laughs) You want to play with blocks? I'm going to play with blocks lying down. I think I spent a good three months uh, playing like I had typhoid fever or something because Sabrina had a doctor's kit. And that's a really good one to play when you're laying down. Oh, that's a really good one. Also, my nanny in Brooklyn uh, taught my daughter how to give massages, back massages. What? I know. Yeah. Just, you know, a little, if you're a little tense in the shoulders. Oh, I'm going to go do that right now. Okay, everyone, bye. Yeah, Sabrina's well, gonna... That's right. I think we all have a project now that we can work yes, on. I home. love this. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Becky. Okay, where can everyone find you on Instagram? Oh, and Facebook. I'm not. You, I'm, not very, I'm not very. I'm not very savvy. I, I think I am private on Instagram. Okay. I don't really publish anything. I think that would be really of interest to anyone. Or maybe mm. I'm not private. How does Instagram work? I mean, I'm on there. <laughs> I follow you. <laughs> I'm. I'm. You're welcome to look me up. I don't know that you'll see much of anything, but it's that girl Becky three twenty four. That okay. girl, of course, being a reference to my beloved Marlo Thomas. <laughs> Thank you so much, Becky. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was fun. Okay, everybody follow us on Instagram at Atomic Moms and our Facebook page. And then when you're at our Facebook page, you can find our private group, uh, which has been really fun because moms are asking each other questions and I'm getting all my interview questions from you all clearly now. And uh, I put up a video. Anyhow, check that out. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Please leave a review. It helps our ranking so new mom listeners can find us. You can also check out our website, atomicmoms.com. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Mm-hmm.